0: Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today's feature story is from Grave Tales Brisbane, Volume 1, Scapegoat of the Empire.
1: Many Australians know the story of the execution of Harry, Breaker Moran and Peter Hancock, but there were other Australians charged with them. One of them, George Witten, had his sentence commuted to life, but he preferred to die by shooting. This is his story.
0: A big powerful Dutchman made a rush at me and seized the end of my rifle with the intention of taking it and shooting me, but I simplified matters by pulling the trigger and shooting him. I never had any qualms of consequence for having done so. By just escaping death in this tragedy, I was afterwards sentenced to suffer death. George Witten, most Australians would probably never have heard of him and yet the escapades of Breaker Morant and Peter Hancock, the other man shot with Breaker Morant in South Africa, are well known. They've been documented in media, they have been movies, books about that. George Witten and the other three who were charged with Morant and Hancock, probably never heard of.
1: So when we talk about Breaker Morant, this is the one that Brian Brown played in the movie Shoot Straight You Bastards.
0: Yeah, well that's debatable as to what he said and George Witten wrote a book which we'll deal with shortly and in there he talks about just exactly what Breaker Morant did say on the occasion of About To Be Shot.
1: So what happened that they became charged with this crime in the first instance?
0: Well, they were charged with this crime because they were in South Africa as part of the contingent of Australian troops who were backing up the British in what was known as the Second Boer War, that is the one between 1899 and 1902. Those first Australian troops who went to the Boer War were largely drawn from the militias of each of the colonies. There was no national militia, if you like.
1: So, no national army as such? No. Then?
0: And so these were drawn from the state militias. The second wave that went were from what was known as the Bushmen. And George Whitten, who we're talking about today, was a part of that organisation. The war in Africa had popular support here in the early stages, but it dragged on and Australians became disenchanted. Then the news came that uh, Morant and Hancock were to be executed. They were to be executed because the British had said they took it upon themselves to execute Dutch, that is, Boer soldiers. So there was Morant, Hancock, Witten and three others charged.
1: I've understood that they were ordered by their superior to shoot those prisoners.
0: Well, this is what the whole argument came down to. And there were numbers of trials. And eventually, Witten and the other two were taken to Pretoria, where they were locked up in the civilian jail. Their argument was that they were simply doing as they were ordered Mm. by their British commanders the execution of Morant and Hancock and the jailing of the others was really just to cover up the order from Kitchen of the British commander that there were to be no prisoners taken.
1: It's sad, though, when you think about it. I mean, here's a guy from the bush, George Whitten, and the men he met in his body of soldiers over there fighting for king and country, obeying orders, and then they are executed.
0: Yeah, it was an ugly time in that conflict. Most of the deaths occurred when the Boer War had become mainly a guerrilla conflict between... British and Australian mounted troops and the Boer Irregulars, in other words blokes who would be farmers one day and soldiers the next. Mm. The war for Australians was characterised by long rides often at night followed by dawn raids on a farm or a settlement and the rounding up of the inhabitants there, usually women and children, who were put into what you might call concentration camps. Mm. Cruel incidents, followed by even crueler reprisals. saw civilian captives confined to these camps I was talking about. They were weakened by malnutrition and thousands died of contagious diseases. Mm. It was a very, very ordinary place to be. Witten, as you said, was used to riding horses, grew up down Warrnambool Way in Victoria. And he, like the others, was probably fairly sick and tired of what was going on. And then came this charging of them and them being sent to Pretoria. It should be said that when they went to Pretoria or were sent there, there'd been no decision about what would happen as a result of the charges. When they were in the jail, 26th of February 1902, just after eight o'clock in the morning, and this is Witten describing what happened at that time in his book, he says a warder came to Morant and informed him that he was required at the governor's office, that is, the governor of the prisoner's office. He walked over and in a few minutes returned. His face was deathly pale. He looked as though his heart had already ceased to beat. I exclaimed, Good God, Morant, what's the matter? Shot tomorrow morning was the reply. This is what happened. Hancock lined up next for the Governor's office and the same news that they were to be shot the next day in the morning. Witten was also ordered to be shot, but at the last moment that death sentence was changed to one of life in prison. The news delivered, Witten writes to him... By the governor of the prison he said Lord Kitchener who was the British commander has been pleased to commute your sentence to penal servitude for life. Mm. Well Kitchener may have been happy too but Witten certainly wasn't. He writes that he was resentful because his death sentence had been commuted and he said I felt that death a thousand times would be preferable to the degradation of a felon's life. I had already suffered a dozen times over pangs worse than death. Mm. So he didn't want to be put in jail for the rest of his life as a prisoner, a criminal, a felon. He figured that he should get the same treatment as the other two, but well, he didn't. He was sent to Britain, where he was jailed. He eventually was let out in 1904 and returned to Australia.
1: So how long did he end up serving then all up?
0: Well, he served a couple of years there, but they were pretty ordinary years. He was hospitalised twice while he was there, once from arsenic fumes that he got when he was sent to work in a metal shop, and the second time from typhoid fever. Mm. So it had a long-term effect on him, which was on to... his health. Yeah, on yeah, his health, yeah. absolutely. When he returned to Australia, he wrote a book called it The Scapegoat of the Empire. And in it, he talked about what happened to Morant and Hancock.
1: But that was a bit controversial.
0: Scapegoats of the Empire. Well, mm. I mean, he was arguing that the Australians were being blamed for the widespread war crimes against the Boers by the British... And the punitive action was in aid of covering up the secret no prisoners to be taken order that they say was issued by Kitchener. Mm-hmm. The British... Denied that, of course. The book was extremely controversial, as you can imagine, and soon after its publication uh, became unavailable and remained that way until it was reprinted in 1982.
1: Unavailable uh, by order or unavailable just by coincidence? Well,
0: this again was one of the controversial aspects of the book. Did it disappear because the government was embarrassed by it, the Mm. Australian government? And There are a number of people who argue that that was the case. There are only seven copies available in libraries around the country in those years between when he wrote it and when it was reprinted in 1982. I'm
1: surprised they didn't disappear off the shelf too.
0: Well, yeah, and you'd think if the Australian government was doing it, they probably would have. The alternative argument made by many is that the book may well have disappeared because of an accidental fire in the book company's warehouse.
1: Oh, that's fortunate, or unfortunate.
0: Yeah, we know something of the story of Baraka Morant and what he said to the firing squad mm. that was lined up to shoot him. The Launceston Examiner ran the comments of a Pretoria jail warder who witnessed the event. And I guess this is where Witten got his information from. The warder said that when the firing party went to blindfold Morant, he said, take this thing off and pulled off the covering on his head. Faced the firing party with his defiant last words, be sure you make a good job of it. It's interesting that I've thought about that a lot as to why he would say that. There are other people who suggested too that part of the problem that Morant and Hancock and Witten and the others had was that they had taken action against some Australian troops who'd not done the right thing in a number of areas, Mm. too many to go into now, and that those soldiers that they had confronted then went to the British and and said, here's what's going on with the troops and killing of war prisoners. Mm. So it may have been true anger, on Morant's part when he said that, rather than just some act of bravado. Mm.
1: So given George was given his life back, so to speak, what did he do then after the book and for the rest of his life in Australia?
0: Well, he was always embittered by what had happened with the book, that it disappeared. And so he moved to Queensland in 1913, when he was 39, and he started a farm at Bingenden, which is about 100km west of Maryborough. In the same year, he married a lady called Mary Louise Humphrey, who died in 1931, but she comes back into the story About 11 years later. So they
1: didn't have long together, but I believe she was his great love.
0: Yeah, and I think that's shown up by what happens later in his life, or after his life, for that matter. He was a director of the local cheese factory and a justice of the peace during the time he was there, which apparently ended in 1934 when he moved to Gippsland in Victoria and took a second bride marrying Carolyn Ellen Stranger. Now, not a lot recorded about what happened to George in that period of time, but the next time we come across him is August 14, 1942. When he was doing what thousands of others Australians did every day to get to work, cranking the car engine before starter motors were invented.
1: Mm, so that's where you stood at the front. And you turned yep. that lever around a circle that's to get it started. Yep.
0: Right. Uh, he suffered a heart attack while he was doing that, mm. and he died in a private hospital in Camberwell. That's the suburb where his address was listed. He was 68 years old.
1: And Carolyn outlived
0: him. And for reasons that we didn't understand for a long time, George was cremated at Faulkner Cemetery in Victoria. And his ashes were taken to Brisbane and interred with the grave of his first wife. Never quite understand why that happened.
1: But we did find out, thanks to our readers, it was George's great-niece Jennifer Witten Sands who got in touch with us and told us that Mary had died when the couple was still relatively young and very much in love, and George had always intended to be buried with her. And that marriage that he had to Carolyn was short-lived, And Mary was the love of his life, and the grave was always intended for both. So they rest together now in the cemetery. His grave fell into disrepair for a little Mm.
0: while. Uh, Didn't have any real recognition that he was there uh, until uh, they came along, and and so did the army.
1: Mm. It's right, but thanks to Jennifer and her husband, Paul, they actually organised for commemorative plaque from the Australian Army for George's service, and that's now on the headstone. So Mary and George are buried there together in...
0: Lutwich Cemetery which is on Gympie Road in Kedron in Brisbane, if you want to go and pay your respects to George. Mm,
1: That's a lovely cemetery.
0: And I guess thanks to that commuted sentence, uh, George, even though he initially probably didn't want to, lived another 40 years longer than his friends, Lieutenant Harry Morant and Lieutenant Peter Hancock. Feature Grave. So from Lutwich Cemetery in Brisbane to where today for a grave of the Episode.
1: <laughs> My favourite cemetery. I think, does that sound strange to have a favourite cemetery? No, I don't think so. My favourite cemetery down Cemetery. In Church Street, Newtown. Oh, yeah. I love Camperdown Cemetery. It's beautiful, isn't it?
0: It is. It's tucked away in the inner suburbs of Sydney and is home to, well, the people who all died in the Dunbar and a numbers of other remarkable graves.
1: That I like in there is the grave of Eliza Emily Donathorn and regular readers of our book will know that one straight away. She died in 1886, age 65, and she might be Miss Havisham mm. because she had a very strange life. She was a bride jilted on the morning of her wedding. Her guests were turned away from an elaborate banquet and she remained in her wedding dress for the rest of her life waiting for her intended to come back or perhaps just mourning. So who does that sound like to you?
0: Yeah, mm. like the character in the Dickens book.
1: In Great Expectations. And for those who might be doubtful whether it is or not, because you know, Charles Dickens did have friends in Australia and wrote regularly yeah. to them. I
0: think his son was here too, wasn't he? He
1: was indeed. So for the doubters amongst us who think, "Oh, it sounds like a tall story, interesting little connection. In 2004, Eliza's headstone was vandalised. Mm-hmm. She's buried with her father. Yep. And... Sydney TAFE, Monumental Repair and Maintenance Students, worked on it with a grant of $2,700 from the Rookwood Anglican Cemetery and the Dickens Society in uh, England.
0: What do they know that we don't?
1: Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's a beautiful grave. It's right up against the back wall. There's not a grave number. It's just a beautiful cemetery. There's this lovely sense of light and atmosphere and the children play in the trees and the dogs are all playing together. I love
0: it. We were there on a Saturday afternoon, evening, and it was just terrific, wasn't it? The atmosphere and the place and the number of People who were using the whole area, including the yeah. park around it. Fantastic.
1: If I was dead, I'd love to be there every <laughs> afternoon and have the company. And I just think it's great that people weren't scared. It's sort of the living and the memories of the past together. And I think that's just fantastic.
0: Camperdown Cemetery in Sydney. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the Follow Us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Purchase a copy at gravetales.com.au or from all good bookstores, Booktopia or Amazon. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well.